You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your promises, and then that you would give us faith to believe them. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, please open your Bibles, Pew Bibles. It's not in the bulletin today. Please open the Pew Bibles to page 620 or open your Bibles to Isaiah 61. I'm going to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, and then 8 through 11. And as you turn there, I think as canon for worship and liturgy, I'm going to rename this day the Feast of the Sheep that Squeaketh. I only think it fitting that we do so because of how prominent they are. They're still kind of ringing in my ears. If you have tinnitus, it's probably a big problem. (laughs) Hear now the word of the Lord from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Then down in verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So keep those Bibles open. I'm going to start with a question. Have you all ever noticed the two tall stained glass windows that flank our table back there? Perhaps you've noticed it when you've come up to receive communion at the rail or when you've been staring at the back wall because it's been a particularly boring sermon or whatever have you. Have you ever taken inventory of what those two windows depict? They were installed well over a hundred years ago in 1898. And in fact, they help tell Advent who Advent is. On the left side, you see a picture of actually what was displayed just now. Baby Jesus lying in a manger, the nativity, the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on the right side, you see a picture of the second advent, the great coming of Jesus when he will come on the clouds, heralded, 
You can analyze the difference between the two. Interestingly enough, situationally, our table sits right in the middle of those two things. And that's because, at least partially, the table is both a look back and a look forward. When we come to the table, we look back upon an event that happened in the past that changed the world. When Jesus came, He died on the cross. He bled for us. His body was broken for us. But at the same time, the table helps us to look forward to when Jesus comes again and you and I will feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Two Advents. These two Advents. And I want to ask a simple question. What does life feel like between the two Advents of Jesus? I want to give you one word that sums it up. Exile. Exile. I was listening to a podcast not long ago. A friend of mine was interviewing an insightful and funny Jewish columnist named Mark Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer said this about American culture. It's probably true of the world's culture. In America today, everyone feels like we are in exile. If you're a gun rights person, you feel like everyone wants to take your guns. If you're a gun control person, you feel like the NRA is running the world. If you're a conservative, you feel like the the socialists are taking over it all. If you're a liberal, you feel like the right-wingers are in complete control. If you're religious, everything is getting so secular. And if you're Bill Maher, then you feel like the Jesus fanatics are running the world. Something about American life, he says, tends to put us in an exilic mindset. I don't think that you necessarily have to believe in Jesus or even all this God stuff. You may be an atheist or an agnostic person here today. Doesn't your daily existence, whoever you are, feel like exile? Like an unsettled feeling of not quite being home. And no matter how many times you try to grasp at it, you don't ever find that home that your heart is looking for. This feeling of exile, this between two advents kind of feeling, it's this feeling that Isaiah is prophesying to hundreds of years ago. And, good news, he's prophesying to you in the pew today. Yes, you. Make no mistake about it. You come here every week, and you may be sitting here because you're paid to, like I am. You may be sitting here because, well, it's Christmas time, and that's what family members do at Christmas time. But again, make no mistake, you're here because God wanted you here today. He wants you to hear Isaiah's words for you. So, what does Isaiah have to say to people who feel like they're in exile? Here it is. And I know it sounds like wishful thinking or standard fare, pie-in-the-sky, Christian stuff. But here's what God's Word says. Someone is coming who's going to fix all of this. All of it. And He's coming to fix it in a way that will drop every jaw as to how fitting and how perfect it is. When this one comes, everything that's confusing about life will make sense. Every riddle that life presents itself to you will be solved. Everything we've experienced in our life that seems like it's either meaningless or irredeemable. In other words, the things to which we say, there's no way that this 
could ever be solved, ever be mended, ever be made right. When this one comes, all the questions will get answered. And they will get answered in such a way that we'll all stand amazed at this someone in wonder and simply say, yes. Isaiah gives a title to this someone. He is called, especially beginning in chapter 42, the servant. 42 verse 1 announces, Behold my servant, servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This word justice that appears in our passage in verse 8 means, to use an older English word, to rightwise, to make right in a really fitting way, or for you Stranger Things fans out there, to turn the upside down, right side up. In Isaiah 61, we find that this servant is anointed with a specific list of duties. We could consider this his job description. The servant declares, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me first to bring good news to the poor. You who are here today, are you poor? Are you struggling to make ends meet? You know, my friend Charles Henry, who normally sits in the choir right about there, posted on Facebook this Friday. He wrote, Friends 40 and under, what are the three biggest issues or concerns that weigh on you on a regular basis? Almost 30 people answered within a short amount of time. What was the number one answer for almost everyone? Money. Finances. Economic future. And there were some people above 40 saying, that's totally unfair. I want to answer the question too. Money, finances, future. Are you continuing to feign like everything's okay? Are you putting up facades when really you feel like you're in dire straits? Are you someone who's been marginalized, not had the opportunities that you feel like other people have had? Perhaps because of circumstances out of your control the family you were born into, or the color of your skin, the culture or place that you grew up in. You find yourself in a system that has worked against you for a long time in a way that it hasn't worked against others. What would you say if I told you that I could promise you that one day your poverty would end? Second, the servant of the Lord says, The Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. What tender words. Do you come in here today with a broken heart? I was talking with a dear brother just a few days ago, and through tears he was telling me about how much he loved and missed his mother who had died a few years ago. Has someone you loved died? Do you find your heart irreparably shattered? This servant has come to bind up what feels like it can't be bound up. Maybe your heart's broken over a relationship lost, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a divorce that you really didn't want to happen, a friend who isn't a friend anymore, a family member to whom you're estranged. What would you say if I told you that I could promise you 
that one day your broken heart will be bound up, that you will feel whole again. Third, the servant says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Maybe some of you feel imprisoned today by a life circumstance that is draining you of all your life, a dead-end job, a field of study that you're no longer passionate about, a draining relationship. Maybe some of you feel imprisoned in your own ailing body, the aches and the pains, the disability, the inability to think straight, or the energylessness. Maybe some of you are caged in under an impenetrable cloud of depression, the heavy crushing of your soul, the weight of sadness, and everyone around you exhausted. They've retreated, and you're all alone. What would you say if I told you that I could promise you that one day you will be free? The reality is that I can't promise you that one day your poverty will be reversed. I can't promise you that your broken heart will be bound up again. I can't promise you that one day you will be free from your prisons. But God can. And more than that, He does. Right here, right now, God promises and God doesn't make these outlandish promises abstractly to the world out there. He makes them to you. He makes them to you. How do you know this? Well, you're here today, aren't you? You're here right now, hearing God's Word preached. It's not my Word. It's God's Word. And let me show you how this promise will work. Look with me at verse 3. God promises to give you a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This Hebrew word instead is really significant. It means something like a substitution of exact equivalence. Whatever your pain is, God's plan is to exchange that pain for something that completely, 100%, fills that void. And did you notice the location of this exchange? A beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Where in Isaiah's day did those who were weeping put ashes? They put ashes on their head when they were mourning. And God will exchange those ashes for a headdress. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. A faint spirit here carries with it the idea, not just a weariness, but a dull despair. Or we might say, a depression. Many who are depressed, who know it well, speak of it as a cloud. Something that hangs over them or surrounds them like a fog and presses them down. It's not an accident that the exchange for depression here isn't merely praise, but a garment of praise. Something that surrounds you and envelops you. See, one day God will lift this 
and provide you with something that feels like the exact opposite. An enveloping joy of praise. A lifted and beaming spirit. God is saying to you and to me, I am going to meet your need exactly at the point of your pain. Where is your hurt? Where is your wound? Where is the pit that you're in? God's promises are for that place. God will meet you there. A substitution of exact equivalence. These are God's promises. But how do I know this is true? How do I know that God's promises are real? If they're real, then maybe I can endure a little bit longer in this life so that I can make it to the next if indeed these promises are true. But how do I know? For this, we must turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4 because there we find an odd scene where a first century Jew from Nazareth walks into a church picks up the lectionary reading for the day and reads this, which happens to be our passage from Isaiah 61. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus Christ closes the Bible He's reading from and said, Today the Scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus says, I am He. I am the servant. The one you've been waiting for. And what does Jesus do next? He ministers to the tired, the oppressed, the wounded. And then He journeys all the way up a hill called Calvary and dies upon the cross to bear the full weight of all your wounds. A substitution of exact equivalence. The great exchange. He gets the poverty to secure that you get the riches. He gets the broken heart to secure that your heart will be mended. He gets imprisoned so that you might be set free. He gets the weight of eternal punishment so that you get the weight of eternal glory. In the words of Isaiah in a previous passage about this servant, surely He has borne our griefs. Surely He has carried our sorrows. Surely He was crushed for our iniquities. Surely He was chastised so that you would find the peace that passeth all understanding. How do you know that God's promises are true? How do you know that God will make good on His Word? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. What more can He say than to you He has said? The cross is the great end and the great beginning. It's the great hinge on which the first advent and the second advent turn. It binds them together. It deals with the past and the present in order to secure your future. And here's how the freedom of this promise works. Imagine a single person incredibly anxious about their singleness. Day and night, they're consumed by thoughts about getting married. Their anxiety cripples their current relationships, so much so that no one wants to be around them. 
And it actually ends up sabotaging all the dates that they go on. Their anxiety and depression doesn't allow them to relax and doesn't allow their true humanity to come out. Now imagine that some magic wizard came and showed them their future in a crystal ball. Ten years from now, happily married, a lot of kids, completely fulfilled. How differently would they live now? They'd be free of worry, instantly released from their anxiety because they know that the future of their dreams will come true. They don't have to press for it, maneuver for it, worry about it, manipulate it, or try to make it happen. It's going to happen. And they're totally free because they saw the future. I know it sounds like magic. I know it sounds too good to be true. But I will tell you, friends, Isaiah 61 is better than a crystal ball. And Jesus is far better than some mythological wizard. He's the servant, the Son of God and Son of Man, the living Word, by whom, in whom, and through whom all things exist. So behold Him, shouting from the cross, I promise, I promise, no more tears, no more broken heart, no more poverty, no more prisons. I will make all things new. I promise. And that's enough to make a lethargic Christian like me even say, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.